Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. situation in the country in the world and actually some other challenges that people are facing I had a had a moment where I nearly sent a text to the other elders and said should I, should I change what I'm speaking on and I had that kind of feeling but then I paused for a moment and I thought even though something may be planned a bit in advance it doesn't mean that the spirit's not in it and I also thought that in this time I'm not sure there's a much better thing that you can do than spend some time thinking about the crucifixion of our saviour Lord Jesus. So I haven't dramatically changed my talk. There's a few tweaks here and there, but I'm just going to just pray briefly before um, we move on. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when your word takes root in us, it's a powerful thing. It brings life and it bears fruit. And I pray today that your word will bring life and bear fruit in our hearts and in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, about a week and a half ago, it was my birthday, and it's an interesting time um, in my house because um, the day before my birthday is my eldest child's birthday as well, Naomi. So, and um, there's this interesting dynamic. You've got the excitement of a child, like, oh, how many more sleeps? Have you got my present yet? What am I going to be getting? What are we going to be doing? And then on the other hand, you've got the reflection of an adult. Oh, another year's gone by, and so on. And it was in that kind of atmosphere that I was having a conversation with Naomi, and she asked, like, um, how old are you going to be? And I was like, oh, 38. She went, oh, that's probably why you've got those grey hairs in your beard. <laughs> um, the kind of put down only a child can deliver. But um, I remember thinking, oh, you know, 30, even though I know that 38 isn't that old, things have changed quite a lot in um, 38 years. And I think probably one of the main ways is regarding technology. So I think we've got a slide here um, coming up about mobile phones. Now, I love this because some of you are looking to the left side, getting all nostalgic and thinking, that was my first phone. Others of you are thinking, what are those things? Those, what are, is that like child's walkie-talkie? And what was interesting with phones is there was a period when it was all about them getting smaller, and now they're starting to get a bit bigger again. Now, with TVs, since they moved to flat screen, it's all been about getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And actually, like people's homes, they have that phrase, don't they? Like a home entertainment system. And I wonder, with those, and with, because of streaming as well, whether how often like, people go to the cinema, whether that's reduced um, in comparison to um, the past. Uh, but every now and then, a film comes out, and that word of mouth critics would be like, no, don't, don't, wait, till it, uh, don't wait to watch it at home. You need to go to the cinema. It has to be seen on the big screen. And then there are those occasions as well when word-of-mouth critics say, a cinema's not good enough. You need to go IMAX. It has to be seen here to be experienced. And I think, really, that's kind of the heart behind this series on the crucifixion, that maybe we may have viewed it like this, but God wants us to view it like this, to really understand the depths of it, the truth in it. Um, so we've come to looking at justice of mercy in light of the crucif- um, crucifixion. 
So just to say, like, mercy in the Bible can mean kindness, and I'll be using those terms interchangeably throughout the talk. We'll be jumping around the Bible a bit as well, but um, the passage I hope will anchor the talk is from the book of Micah, and I just want to start by giving a bit of context. And part of that context would be right in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, in the creation story. In it, we read that man and woman are created in God's image. Now, on this Sunday morning, in mid-March, a little bit gloomy outside, you may not be feeling like you're created in God's image, but it is true. And that's significant, because we are his image bearers. So when we come to look at this passage in Micah, I want you to bear in mind that when God commands us to do something, it's because he wants us to act in line with who he is. Um, Micah itself takes its name from an 8th century prophet, um, the, the, uh, who delivered a message to, um, for Samaria and Jerusalem, the capital cities of the two kingdoms at that time. And Micah calls out people for their sin, denouncing rulers, priests, and prophets, deplores the money-grabbing exploitation of the helpless, dishonesty in business, sham religion. Yet yeah, Micah doesn't hold back, but what we see in it is God's grace towards us. And so I'll read from chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I'm not sure how many of you have ever owned this incredibly frustrating um, toy. Um, So it arrives, I think we've got the picture, it arrives like this. You mess it up a bit. And the idea is to get it back to, back to that. Um, for those who are close up, you can see I'm quite far away from that, um, from that point. And when I've resisted the temptation to kind of go online, find strategies, see what to do. So when I started, I was just like, okay, I'm going to get one side all white. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get to that point. And I was doing that, and I can't claim I got to that point. I got close, and then it dawned on me, actually, if I get this side white... When I try to get the other side blue, guaranteed, I'm going to start messing it up. It's like you try to, you sort one bit, but then when you come to sort something else, it kind of detracts from the other. Um, For the world, justice and mercy is a puzzle that it cannot solve. In trying to do one, they end up diminishing the other. You see it in justice systems, when the pursuit of justice solely becomes about punishment. I'm not saying... Um, in a justice system, there shouldn't be crimes that are punished, but it, can, it can't solely be about that with no thought for mercy and restoration. If we think in terms of social justice, that would be a value, an idea that lots of people could unite around, irrespective of faith and background and so on, to see that those who are oppressed find liberation, that the marginalised are cared for, um, those that have suffered find healing. Lots of people would come behind that, and rightly so. The struggle comes when it dawns on you that in some way, whether big or small, you have contributed to the injustice of another. Maybe that even someone who is oppressed might see you as their oppressor. 
when that dawns on you, suddenly the pursuit of social justice, you're not as on board with that. Actually, what you want is mercy, to be shown kindness for what you've done wrong. But also, if kindness is the sole focus, it can view into, we must be kind, and we never actually say, no, this is wrong, for fear of offending. In many ways, the world puts a high value on justice and mercy, but it struggles to do both. But what we see with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection is God was able to demonstrate perfect justice, but this didn't stop him displaying perfect mercy. Um, A few weeks ago, it was half term, and a few colleagues at my school were fortunate enough to go on holiday. And there was this one day where uh, we have a WhatsApp group and they're like posting photos. So someone's posted the first photo, here's my view. And it was this amazing landscape from Iceland. Someone responds and they go, oh, here's my view. And it's this beach, a tropical beach. Oh, okay. Then others who hadn't gone away had just happened to be out for brunch and they were taking a picture of their lovely brunch and stuff like that. And I was getting these messages as I kind of left the cinema in um, West Norwood High Street. And I was confronted by those roadworks that Thames Water are doing at the moment. And, wow, those are some roadworks. I'm not sure. I think they're scheduled to last year, a year. I'm not sure how far we are into them. But I look at that and I think, wow, it's going to take that long. There are all these people. There are all these machines. And I think, what has gone wrong under this road that this is all necessary? What has happened there, or what hasn't happened? Um, For many, Jesus' crucifixion is offensive, and in many ways it is. The method of execution back then was the most offensive. It was a shameful way to die. People react to it. Someone had to die for me? God's very own son had to suffer like that? I can't imagine why such a thing would be necessary. An, ancient, an old um, archbishop from the Middle Ages, Anselm, argues that if that's your reaction, you haven't fully understood or appreciated the gravity of sin. Um, Fleming Rutledge, the author of the book that has inspired this series, writes, the crucifixion of Jesus is of such magnitude that it must call forth a concept of sin that is large enough to match it. Uh, One of the things we discussed as leaders when preparing this series is actually one of the best things a Christian can do is get a good understanding of what sin is. Um, Last week, Phil powerfully unpacked it. That idea, actually, that the line between good and evil runs through each person. Sin is slavery. It's a power that we can't find freedom from in and of ourselves. Um, We can think of it on that individual um, um, level, But the picture of sin is that it is distorted creation itself. A problem so big that Jesus, God's own son, had to go to the cross. So when it comes to thinking about justice and mercy, we must recognize that something sin entered the world and something went very wrong. So I wonder when it comes to the cross, when you're reflecting on it, what's what the words that come to mind? I wonder whether one of them would be forgiveness. There is that very personal, incredible, special reality that the cross we are forgiven. But when we think about the cross, I'm not sure that should be our starting point. The Bible says a lot about personal sin and our responsibility for it. But there are times in the Bible where God isn't calling out the sin of a wealthy person. He calls out the sin of the wealthy. He doesn't just call out Christians. He calls out churches. 
He doesn't call out individual citizens. He calls out entire countries. Something has gone very wrong in our hearts, but actually something has gone very wrong in creation itself, and that means that there is structural injustice. So when we come to the cross, there is that powerful aspect to it. Right? We are forgiven, but actually, first and foremost, we should see it at the place where God is setting things right. He's setting something right in creation deep down. Uh, Nick alluded to it in communion. The book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, when John receives that vision of what the end of the world will look like, tells us that Jesus is going to return and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Every tear will be wiped from every eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order will pass away and he will make everything new. Why is God putting things right? Because there's going to be a new creation. So I'd like you to imagine for a moment that the most picturesque scene you've ever experienced, you've ever witnessed. My wife, Emma, she loves the mountains. I'm more of a tropical beach kind of person. So just imagine that, imagine that scene for a moment. Picture that in your head. And then imagine that a factory is going to be built there. And that factory is going to spew out noxious gas all day long going to spew out pollution that will damage that natural environment as well as the people there. When you think about that incredibly special place, that lovely, beautiful place, there's that sense within you, no, no, you can't do that to such a place. You cannot do it. Um, That's similar to how God feels about sin. Because of his holiness, he has this pure anger, and sin cannot be present in what he's creating. At the cross there is justice, God is setting things right. There is also great mercy because he says, join me, have a restored relationship with me in the here and now, but also lasting into eternity. When you spend time looking at the cross, it's natural that you think of Jesus' resurrection. There's a wonderful chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 where the Apostle Paul unpacks the link between Jesus' resurrection the resurrection of the dead and resurrection bodies. And they can feel like straight, it can feel like strange subject matter to talk to a modern audience about. But it is a beautiful piece of scripture. And in it, Paul lays out how death came through Adam. The original man, he sinned, sin entered the world, and because the wages of sin are death, death has entered the world. But the resurrection of the dead comes through one man, Jesus. All in Christ will be made alive. Then there are these verses, 42 to 44. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Here we get a sense of the transformation that Jesus' resurrection will bring. You get the series of contrasts there. Perishable to imperishable, dishonor to glory, weakness to power, natural to spiritual. Uh, In his book, Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright explains that the present bodily um, life does not lack value because it will die. What we do with our bodies matters in the present, because God has a glorious future planned for them. And actually, aside from anything about justice and mercy, 
If you have been dealing with long-standing physical stuff, pray for faith that God will heal you now. Have others pray with faith that he will heal you. But do know that there is a time where that body that is perishable will be raised imperishable. Know that if the struggle against sin feels strong at the moment, you're battling. It feels maybe like a battle you are not winning. Know that the body that is sown in weakness will be raised in power. Know that if you are struggling with shame, stuff that you have done in the past clouds your thinking, clouds your action. You can't break free of it. Know that the body that is raised in dishonor will be raised in glory. We've got to get that. Because we all have those what the point, what's the point moments. What we see here is that God can bring, amuse us to bring his kingdom into action. And then we approach things in a different way. Caring for someone who is ill. Being generous to those who lack. Giving a voice to the voiceless. All of that has a point that stretches into eternity. During this somewhat uncertain time when there's a possibility, I mean, talked about that fear could come in. Um, knowing, that we, um, knowing that means we can respond in faith and encourage others. Act in a way that extends kindness and mercy to our families, our friends, but also um, others we don't know so well. Show that there can be a response where we know the glorious plans our Heavenly Father has for us and how he wants to use us in this very moment. I've been reminded, it's, um, it's not one of the books of the Bible you look at much, but um, the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And she was, um, stores, um, tells the story of this queen, and she was in a position of some influence, but also a position of some danger. And it really is about the story of a plot to eradicate the people of God at that time. And there's a moment in the story where really it's about whether Esther's going to step out in faith and act regarding it. And... Um, in stepping out of faith, she's going to put herself at risk. Um, in that moment, she's encouraged by someone close to her who says, maybe you've been called for such a time as this. Um, last wi- week, um, Hannah Williams read out a prophecy that um, Beacon received around 10 years ago about how God is going to give Beacon an anointing for mercy and justice. It was a powerful thing to hear. There's this sense that we do things um, because we want to alleviate pain in the here and now, but also the things that we do have this eternal impact. It shapes the new creation. Isn't that wonderful? The very fact that a crucifixion of Jesus was necessary demonstrates that something went very wrong. But God is setting it right in the here and now, and it will come to its completion. And in his grace, he's using people, but also using his church. So although... I said that I believe it's probably a better starting point to think of the cross as the place where God is setting something right. Obviously, it does have lots to say about forgiveness and its relationship to justice and mercy. The Bible talks a lot about forgiving. Forgive as Christ forgave you. When Jesus is asked by his disciples how many times they should forgive a brother or sister, he goes to tell that story of the unmerciful servant. Um, where a servant who is um, forgiven a great debt by his master has someone else thrown in jail who can't repay him a much smaller debt. And Jesus has some strong words, a stark warning about how our heavenly father will treat us if that's how we operate. Um, All of which I do want to affirm and say is true, but sometimes, though, 
I wonder, in wanting to help people come to a place of forgiveness, um, we want the process to move too quickly. And we forget that although forgiveness does ultimately bring freedom, it is also costly. It requires sacrifice. You must forgive. You, um, what we can do, though, is we can sometimes separate forgiveness and justice. You must forgive. You must move on. All true, but there also has to be a recognition that people have experienced things that are wrong. At the cross, God did not forget the destructive nature of sin and the damage that it causes. He was not saying that it was okay that people lie, cheat, steal, kill, manipulate, oppress, exploit, that that is okay. He was recognizing how very wrong it all is and more, but saying it had to be dealt with. But in dealing with it, he showed vast kindness, extending forgiveness, and not making us take the punishment for it. But for some of us here, it might be when we're speaking to people, Christian or not, we might just need to exercise just that little bit more patience, give that little bit more space to hear people. We still want them to get to that point where they can forgive those who have hurt them. We also might need to affirm, yeah, what happened to you was wrong. Because unwittingly, we can end up in a situation where we communicate to people, God takes your sin very seriously, but not the sins that have been committed against you. We have to present this God that in his holiness, in his power, hates sin and actually went, sent his son to the cross to deal with it. Because actually, when reconciliation comes, you want it to be deep and meaningful. You want it to be deep, you want it to last. God isn't interested in cheap reconciliation, and neither should we be. Just a little bit around enduring injustice. God's kingdom is coming. He's setting everything right in his, our hearts and in all creation. But this kingdom won't be established in its fullness until Jesus comes again. So we do have this tough reality that we're called to act justly and love mercy, but we still experience injustice ourselves or see others be the victims. For those experiencing injustice, there are some things that happen on this earth that even the best justice system can't deal with proportionally. And that's hard. There's something deep within us when we want the punishment to fit the crime. But we have to accept and be humble that, and recognize that we aren't the best people to be judged. We must leave that to God knowing that when he judges, he does so perfectly. And that, he does, and that does bring peace, knowing that in the end, we don't have to right everything, every wrong, because he will. There are some people, when they see someone being treated unjustly, their heart breaks. They have such hearts of compassion that they don't have to be the victim for it to hurt. Just seeing someone go through it breaks their hearts. Um, when they see injustice, their heart cries out, no, this cannot be. They have this deep desire for all justice to be gone right now. We have people like that in this church, real hearts of compassion. That's because we're made in his image. He's a God of justice who calls us to join him in his ministry of compassion, restoration and justice for the oppressed, for the poor and for the marginalized. We get to partner with him in seeing his kingdom come in this way. Yet even though God's kingdom is coming, we live in the now, not yet. How can you endure witnessing the injustice that still remains in the meantime? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes... If I find in myself a desire 
which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. God's kingdom is being established, but this world is not how it should be. You are not made for this world but another. And that, knowing that means that you can handle that tension. You can handle the feelings of being unsettled and act justly without being bound by feelings of disappointment. It doesn't just reach where you want it to get to. Um, I wonder if the band can come up. I just want to say um, just one more thing to say. Um, in a, I read in a book recently that someone write, wrote that we need more poets in the pulpit. You know, more poets preaching. And I had a moment when I... And I think that what the author was trying to get to is like, those people have the gift of eloquence, you know, the gift of words. I thought, well, I don't really want to read that at the moment. Um, that's not really me. Um, but I thought to myself, if I can't do it myself, I'll borrow something poetic from someone else. And I really appreciate the band um, this week um, did the song, Here is Love. Um, which we sung after communion, which is about the crucifixion. And there's this incredibly powerful line in it. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. Heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. When we come to the cross, with all its brutality, all its suffering, all its sacrifice... We should remember that it was an act of affection, an act of love for a guilty and broken world from its creator, from its heavenly father. And when we see that and think about all that God is doing in the here and now and what he's going to bring to fruition in eternity, what's our response? We walk humbly with our Lord, trusting that he knows best any plans he has for us are good and in any tribulation he is with us I'll just pray to close before we sing Father we thank you for the richness of your mercy, we thank you for your perfect justice, we thank you for what you're doing in the here and now bringing freedom to those who are captive and Lord we look forward to that day when all things will be made perfect the dead will rise, we will have resurrection bodies, we will be free from sin, we will be free from pain and from suffering, and we will spend eternity with you, experiencing your glory. Lord, we thank you, in Jesus' name. just listen to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.